You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders. I'm Michaela, I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast. Today I'm joined by three senior leaders within the Melbourne tech community. In this episode, we will be exploring the topic, how important is a clearly defined data mesh for the success of your ML models? Before we jump into the questions, put forward by the group, it would be great to meet our panelists. I'll start off with you, Ash. Would you like to introduce yourself and kick things off? Sure thing. Sure thing, Kayla. My name is Ash. I'm the co-founder and CEO of an AI tech startup we just launched recently. Um, right now, we provide automation, tailored and personalized chatbots and virtual assistants, and also exploring other AI solutions. We're currently in the dental and real estate sectors, and also in the process of expanding in, in, into other industries. I'm very passionate about tech. Prior to launching my um, this startup, I was at Shell Energy. I was in charge of one of the business units within Shell's energy sector. Prior to that, I was at a leading design agency now owned by Accenture, where I led um, the web practice. And prior to that, I was at TXC Technology. Um, I, led, I led some pretty some key engagements here in Australia, for example, the Sydney Water Project. Because I'm very so passionate about tech and this in this AI age, I just want to make a harness the power of AI and just make an impact on society. That's it for me. Great, thanks, Ash. Kieran, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, hi everyone. Uh, my name's Kieran. Um, I work at West Farmers, uh, working within One Digital, which is the technology arm West Farmers. Um, I'm the data engine manager there, um, essentially for a essentially subscription uh, loyalty program that we just launched uh, one year ago. And I guess my focus at the moment is on analytics engineering and uh, data mesh organization um, change, and essentially to drive some of that stuff uh, within 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 all the technology sort of teams. Um, I've been passionate about sort of, you know, technology in generally for the last sort of decade and I'm sure all panelists here in terms of, you know, how it's changing uh, our lives, our ways of working and et cetera. And uh, I think that there's this trajectory of, um, you know, where that could end up as, you know, it's, it's unbounded. So yeah, excited about that. Amazing. Thanks, Kieran. Adam, you're up. Thank you, and hi, everyone. Um, so my name is Adam Gould. I lead the data function for ANZX, or in the market known as ANZ+. Plus. Uh, we're a, um, I guess, a digital transformation program looking to revolutionize banking for our customers, um, really modernize what the product offering is, um, as well as the banking experience for our ANZ customers. Um, I've been at uh, ANZX for three years, and, and part of this role is really looking at both the technology capability for data as well as the how you get value out of your data uh, and realize the potential. Um, for me, uh, data is really important to be part of the core build of any application. It's not an afterthought. You don't think about data as a way to optimize post-implementation. It's really about having good data practices embedded from the start um, before you even have data. I think it's very important to, to seed it early. Um, for me, I'm a I'm an internal uh, and forever optimizer. I really like to just try and leverage data to try and optimize and automate everything and get the best outcome possible um, in all instances. So, a uh, really great opportunity in leveraging data in the ANZ Plus experience to personalize everything for our customers. Amazing! Thanks, everybody. We'll dive into our first question. This question was put forward to the group by Ash. The question was. 
Does the data mesh strategy of an organization possess adequate flexibility and agility? Ash, you're up. Thank you, Michaela. <clears throat> I guess another way of asking this is trying to understand if, you know, like an organization is likely data mesh, they need to have an approach, like, like is the approach flexible and agile in itself? Like, are there any short to medium term imperatives on the horizon that may affect the approach or even the endpoint of the planner will, will, will they cause the focus to shift before the vision can be realized? Like the, the, the way I see it, data mesh is not a vision that can be realized in a short time frame. No, assuring the organization has like, like it's like the data, the data is com complex enough in itself. I feel that, that they're like immediate to long-term journey, like it require an ongoing focus and commitment. And even then you know, it's alignment with the business must be facilitated long-term. And you know, it's, it's, it's really, you know, a long-term thing. I feel that many new initiatives, legislative changes, material business, structural changes, et cetera, can send ripple through, throughout, throughout any organization and react to, reacting to these in the, in the short term is imperative to ensure that the vision is realized to maintain an effective data mesh over, over time, over long term. And this may require, for instance, restructuring or creating a new domain, refactoring data products and agreeing new data contracts in short, in short order, if that makes sense to everyone. That's my view. Yeah, I think um, just just to build on that, um, you know, data mesh is probably uh, operating model solution. You know, it, it can't be one without the other. I think to enable flexibility and agility in a mesh, you really need to think about how do you prioritize and fund um, data products to be built in the mesh. Um, it's all well and good to uh, say, you know, a domain has accountability for building a customer product. Um, but if they have no funding and no priority to do so, and they are the domain experts, well, you're never going to get your customer product off the ground. Um, and so really as part of um, an organizational structure and funding prioritization model, you need to be able to seed um, resource and capability and demand into where your core data products need to be built. And without that, Yes, there'll be no agility and no flexibility. You'll be forever waiting, um, and which is currently the problem with a lot of data strategies in your old warehouse style like uh, methodologies where it's kind of a data team waiting to receive data. Um, if it's never prioritized, it's never going to come. Yeah, and I guess, um, you know, just to add to that, I mean, certainly from my perspective, our, our company, you know, is kind of in the midst of that transformation of getting that, you know, data mesh um, operating model you know, embedded model within the different technology teams. But I guess, um, you know, to add to the point around, you know, funding, financing, and, and certainly Ash's point around, is there flexibility? I, um, and all that is a really, really good point. So I think, but I look at it from a people perspective, because, you know, the way that I'm looking at it is, is that, you know, data mesh, when, you, when, it, when anybody actually first looks at it, it's actually an organization redesign. Um, it's not just, hey, this is a kind of a, a data architecture and, and go and implement it. It's an actual read alignment of your organization. Um, it's actually a technology uh, reorganization, but it's your business reorganization. So, you know, the people is actually a key driver is, you know, within that process. So, you know, actually your question is, there, is there flexibility? There's absolute flexibility if you've got the right leaders within the right areas to be able to be the champion, to be evangelist, ultimately be the beacon of light to be able to lead the organization through that change. So it's it's really, really people dependent. Um, 
And, you know, because quite, you know, I, I went to an Agile conference the other day and you, you, and you see that, you know, the, the how it, technology adoption curve or change adoption curve happens. You've got the, you know, early innovators, you've got the laggards. Fundamentally, the critical mass is that your early adopters need to need, need to be your leaders. And then you've got to find the, the key people within your team to fundamentally believe that this is the way, way to go. Then like you've got the momentum and you can, you can do whatever you like with it. I guess, yeah, I guess the, what I'm trying to summarize is that it's a people driven thing, um, as opposed to, yes, yeah, absolutely. You need to get the funding. You need to, you need to be able to get the structure, right? The architecture, right? The people drives that. So that's kind of my, my, my take on it. Yeah. I, I think, sorry, just to add a little bit more uh, on the funding conversation, I think, you know, what, once you've got good practices and buy-in in the mesh, it's really about, you know, funding and operating model to, to sustain it. I do think though, um, this, this change of perception of data as data as a product is really fundamental and core to a lot of this you know if, if you think about data as a product um you know a team who has domain ownership of a product and you know maybe the, the founder of a data product um might take a product to a certain point um and that's all and well and good for that team that created the product but if the organization needs that product to go to the next level um and has the passion and the business need for that product to go to the next level can almost think of it like a product in the market, you know, acquisition of a product, you know, and then build on top of the product. And, you know, an example of this that, that we have in ANZ Plus is if you're building a, a data product for analytical purposes, um, you know, it's a low criticality asset. It probably doesn't have, you know, the, the incident response plan to it and the recovery time. But if you want to then make that data product key to something that's very operational and required, you know, low latency, high performance, you might actually go, well, the team who needs that might need to take ownership of it. And actually this interesting concept of transfer of ownership of product um, comes in. Um, and I think, you know, to flexibility and agility, I, I think you need to kind of get over this concept of, um, you know, I built it, I own it. Um, and actually think about actually the organization can own it. Um, and what does it mean to those who want to champion the growth and development of the product? Yeah. Just quickly, um, just to, um, I completely agree with Kieran saying that it's, a real, no, it's really a people-driven um, chain. But then that kind of begs the question is like, how do you convince, for example, senior executives that the data mesh is the future? You know? how, do you, how would you convince them that they should invest their resources long-term? It's quite a challenging thing. Yeah, Ash, they're really, really good. And I think that's probably like, you know, it's a common problem, shared problem. Um, I, I guess maybe to be able to take, you know, some other you know something that i've heard um recently which is that you know like we all go through thin slices and you know it has to start with the value question not a sort of a data mesh you know it's a fancy new reorganization of that your, your, your teams it's a value question so if you start with a value question then you know you're you're, you're far more able to compel people to go hey okay well, i like value i like outcome what does this you know change do to that value question I think to be able to think slice um, things within an organization that demonstrates that, then obviously expand out and essentially get the get the sponsorship, the funding. That's that's that tend to be the way that like from a lot of the you know a lot of um, you know a lot of people talk about this. There's a way to go um, because yeah, it's it's not just the org change. It's a value question they're trying to answer. That's right. That's right. Sometimes I feel that like. It's like, you know, when, when in the software application realm, like, you know, now like microservices are the new thing, right? It's like, I feel that data meshes, right? That's like, I feel that data meshes are to data analytics, what 
microservices are the software applications, and that's yeah. how you yeah, kind of kind of um, like that's the analogy you would use you know, to, to some senior executives. So that this is the new way to go. If that makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. And the thing is, like when I first, uh, I, I must admit, when I first went to West Farmers, I didn't have that, like you know, being an engineer at heart. I don't, I didn't think about data as a product in sense, and yeah. think about the whole ecosystem. But it became more and more apparent how microservice, or microservice analogy, is very, very much applicable in the data space. And data products can be viewed as services and, and that's shareable within the broader ecosystem. And like it's a mindset shift that I think it takes a little bit of time to um, convince uh, you know, people that are skeptical, like myself initially, uh, to, to really get on the journey, be really, really passionate about it, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And Thanks, guys. Oh, no, okay. Um, we'll move on to the next question. This question was posed to the group by Adam. Adam asked, how do you embed data governance into your data mesh or data environment? Yeah, thanks for that, Michaela. I, um, you know, th this is a really interesting topic for me because I think data governance has always been seen as this kind of thing on top of data um, that you need to do. And actually, if, if I tie it back to um, Ash's point around uh, microservice architecture, um, actually, a lot of the things that data governance tries to implement is the practices that are in good software engineering for microservices. So for instance, you know, if you have a microservice with an API spec, you know, people need to know what they're interacting with. You know, that spec needs to be well-defined. Um, it needs to um, have a good change control over it and good um, ability to ensure that you're not making breaking changes and deprecate that spec and, and evolve that spec, right? Data governance tries to do a lot of that, but in a, I guess, more, um, more governance sense which is kind of outside of technology generally and and so actually you know for me in data mesh it's actually part of the mesh um, and so this concept of you build a data product that's great now if you want to publish a data product and make it available you need to have a spec people need to know what this product is you know, that's your metadata right and you know metadata has always been seen as this afterthought actually no you need to tell people about your product what your product is how to use your product um, you need to be able to uh, provide uh, a level of supportability to your product. Um, so, you know, incident management, um, you know, data quality management. Um, you know, if a if someone's interacting with an API and all of a sudden it's starting to throw, throw nulls, that's a serious problem. In the data domain, generally that was always seen as, oh, it's a data quality problem. Let's go and, you know, do something off the side. Actually, no, it's an incident. You manage it like a product. You fix it like a product. Um, and so a lot of these practices in software engineering, microservice architecture, I think, you know, what was very manual governance processes are kind of just built into the engineering of a data product. Obviously, there's a bunch of other things around, you know, deletion or retention and all of these other components of um, data governance, which you know, once again can build, be built in technically into a solution. Um, you know, a, a customer is, you know, GDPR, rights be forgotten. I want, I want to remove all my data, you know once again, is very much a technical solution, you know, trigger an event, products do a deletion, um, and then we kind of um, move on from there. So I think um, actually a, a lot of how we think about data governance is actually, you know, I like to flip it a little bit and think about good software engineering um, and how do we build it into how we propagate a good data product into the ecosystem with what was governance just built into how you trust and use a data product. Yeah, I, don't, I like absolutely agree. I, I think that, like you know, and probably along the lines of, hey, the data product is not should the design of data product shouldn't be looked at as just being it's the table, right? It, it's got properties, 
but actually there's a whole lineage of things that you need um you need contracts you need um you know data governance embedded etc etc and i think that you know maybe i I'll take example that you know uh within sort of our teams and how the way that it's organized you know and, and adam to alluded to your point it's still a fairly separate function there's a centralized data governance data privacy function and you've got technology teams you've got data platform teams and you know it comes down to the people question how do you get you know i guess that lineage right that that i guess that value stream of your data product had that cross cutting functionality that's difficult like we, we're not we know we need um need that yet but I still feel fundamentally you can achieve that but you've got you got to get like you got to get the right people and the right teams to be able to talk to each other and understand that there's a value there's a value lineage or there's a value stream there to for any data product um so i guess the the answer is like yeah it's still people driven um because it, it's it's absolutely aspirational but it, unless you get the teams and the people aligned it, it's very very hard to achieve yeah, that's right. Um, I just want to ask that question in a very simple manner first, and then I want to try and be a bit more granular. I think, um, like, how do, how do you embed data governance in your data mesh data environment? I think, you know, like, to include data rules in your data set, you know, one one would need to ensure that, like, the smaller data domains follow the agreed upon rules for data quality, security, and use, and then this helps keep the overall data system organized and reliable. Now, if I were to become, if I were to get a bit more granular, right, and think, you know, from a data governance perspective, like if I could just step back, you know, I mean, if I could bring it up into steps, you know, I think I think one would need to assess the current data landscape, identify the the domain teams, establish data product ownership, implement the federal data governments, create the data catalog, define data access policy mechanisms, you know, even automate the data quality checks and monitoring, develop cross-functional collaboration. Um, measure and iterate, right? But for the implementing or embedding the data, like data governments, and let's say federated um, data governments, you know, you want to kind of empower the domain teams to manage the data products while ensuring that any overarching policies and guidelines are adhered to. Um, um, and if, if, if we had a federated governance model that maintains the right balance between central government <laughs> governance and domain autonomy, if that makes sense, I know this, this would include standard data security security and privacy policies, data cataloging, lineage practices, data quality metrics, and access controls. Yeah, I, I think I think all that is true, but I, I'd kind of frame it back to microservice architecture, right? You, you build a microservice for a purpose. There's a business domain that own that microservice, and then there's access policies on who you provide that data to. You know, you can, you, you need to have, you know, jots to be able to access the data you need to have a level of security on top of it so it's it's similar in terms of the things that need to be true to publish and access data it's probably just a little bit different in some of the practices where an analyst might be able to just you know select star and get everything out of a table versus you know access to an api so i do think um you know what you're saying is true i, I agree but I wouldn't want to reinvent the wheel as such for data products when a lot of that lives already in microservice architecture and how we build products and microservices. It's it's almost like, in my mind, building an extension of how we think about uh, access to data through an application tier extended into the data sphere. Yeah, and I think to add to that, I mean, like one thing that I had in mind was that around tooling. Um, in the sense that, like, to be able to enable, um, I guess, design data products 
with a microservice lens, um, you, you need to get the right tooling. And there's not there's not many tooling uh, or solutions, data warehouse solutions out there that allows you to build that ecosystem where like really robust governance tooling is baked into that. And that that's how you, like without that ecosystem, it's you're always going to get a mishmash of you know third party. Um, you know, SaaS offerings, you know, with your data warehouse, you know, that's, you know, it, it, that's a part of your ecosystem. Without that sort of robust ecosystem, like it's really, really hard to do. And I, I'm not, I'm not a snowflake salesman um, at all, uh, but, but, but our organization across West Farmers, we've got like Bunnings, Kmart, all of our organizations is snowflake. And what's been really cool is that um, data governance tooling has been uh, accelerated as a capability as part of that eco Snowflake ecosystem, and that's great because we would rely on you know Immuta, we would rely on you know uh, Alation, uh, not Alation, um, Alation, sorry for data cat- catalog um, metadata management, and all that has got the potential to be able to you know be compacted into that one ecosystem, and when you have the ability to be able to, the tooling to be able to do that. You know, into Adam's, you know, I guess dis- description of what potential data product looks like in Microsoft's lens, you can actually do all that in a very, very sort of consistent way. So, like, that's my sort of tidbit is is that that tooling bit. If you got it, then the, it does make it a little bit easier. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll move on to our next question, which was posted in the group by Kieran. The question is Where is your organization on the data mesh adoption curve? Yeah, I, I guess probably you know a similar question that you know um, uh, to you know what we where we have in mind. We're like where are we on the adoption curve? Um, because like you you, you hear um, people talk about data mesh as a concept, um, as an aspirational you know ideal where we like to get to. But it, it'd be interesting to understand where people are because um, you know certainly I can talk to our sort of experience. We're very very early on that curve. Um, it's really been something that only been looked at um, in the last sort of six months to year, and so we've we've got, you know, I guess, activities initiatives, you know, change leaders in that sense, like you know, like myself, for example, in different air technology teams to be able to get that alignment. Um, but it's still fairly early, and we we, we don't know how it's going to end up. But but we're certainly trying to get to that you know organization design that fundamentally like you know reflects this kind of data data mesh microservice architecture distributed systems so yeah just uh, keen to get um you know uh the the panel's um you know perspective on you know where, where they are with respect to the organization yeah i think um to this question i think it really like 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 it delves into how well an organization has incorporated like the fundamental tenets of data mesh in their data ecosystem like for example, in a, at the initial stage, you know, they might be exploring the concept. Um, I think that's what you're referring to, Kieran. Um, understanding its implications and the possibly, like, and the possibility of identifying the data domains within the organizations. You know, they might be considering the shift from a monolithic data architecture to a more modular and domain or the domain-oriented architecture. Um, if they're in the middle of the data adoption curve, then they could be actively creating data domains, assigning data ownership, establishing clear clear data contracts. Um, their organization might be focusing on building data products and services, ensuring data quality and fostering a culture of collaboration between the different teams. 
if they're further along the curve, then they might have realized substantial progress in decentralizing data ownership, with each domain having its own defined processes and technologies. Um, and data sharing and discovery could you know, should be seamless enough, facilitated by a well-structured data catalog and well-defined APIs. If they're at the advanced stage, you know, the organization, you know, would have, maybe they would have fully embraced the principles of data mesh, you know? And I guess the, the data mesh would be efficiently connected through a fabric of technologies, allowing for easy integration, um, scaling, you know, they, they might be leveraging advanced tools like federated data querying, enabling data consumers to access information seamlessly across the um, domains. Um, I guess like this question, what Kira said, like it kind of like seeks to gauge an organization's maturity in adopting a data mesh from the initial exploration to the advanced implementation. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it it also kind of reflects on what is your definition of the organization, right? So like in West Farmers, you know, you've got subsidiaries also in banking, you know, you've got the retail bank, you've got the corporate bank, you've got the institutional bank, right? Um, you know, how, how far do you consider the adoption within the overall uh, enterprise and so in in our world in hnzx hnz plus we've kind of had the liberty to um you know reimagine a lot of our technical stack and, and build very cloud native and so for the last um, year year plus we've been on this data mesh journey really kind of pushing accountability back to domains that own data create data to say you need to build a data product you can build an application uh, that's great but as part of your application build, you also need to build a data product. And actually, you know, we've got this concept of source aligned data products where any application team that build a microservice need to build an equivalent data product. And actually they manage both the data product and the application. Um, and you know, that, that really kind of gets that bedrock set up in terms of, okay, I've got a customer master. Now I've got a uh, equivalent data product customer master. I've got an account. Now I've got an account data uh, product equivalent. And so if you kind of couple application build with data product build, you, you really get the foundation of your data products that allow the analytical community to come in and then start building what we refer to as kind of integrated data products where you combine a lot of these source aligned things to build calculated metrics like revenue numbers or whatever it might be on top of that. Um, and then you kind of get, you know, the flywheel spinning. I think a lot of the um, problems with data architecture and data solutions is getting data into into the environment, right? And so if you kind of put the onus back on the domains, say, so, you know, you're building applications, you also need to build equivalent data products, it kind of gets the wheel spinning um, and, and kind of, you know, alleviates that barrier to entry in the first place of having data in the environment. So, you know, as I said, we've been on this for, you know, a year plus in ANZ plus, we're, we're quite, um, quite uh, mature in embedding the practice in terms of getting data into the environment and starting to use data. And now we're working across the enterprise to think about, well, how does that um, spread beyond the retail bank? So, you know, how does the rest of the organization leverage our products, add to our products, and how do we consume other areas' products? Um, I think the big thing in all of this is we really want to remove duplication. You know, in large organizations, um, there are many definitions of customer that pop up everywhere. And we want to go back, you know, who's the domain who creates the customer, owns the customer relationship, and then they're on the hook to create that product. And then there is one customer product, data product. People have to come to that and not create their own. Um, and then there's kind of this concept of you know, if I'm going to build a deviation of it, it's a conversation with the product owner around, is that part of the core product or is that an extra product? What does that look like? And so that's kind of where we're at um, in the moment uh, on, on the data journey. I think you know, building up that base data product layer 
um, that having a community of analysts then to be able to access that and as I said, across query um, on data products, do it integrated data products is where you start getting the value. Adam, I guess my question to that is when you talk about, you know, building data product that's sort of complementary or co tightly coupled to, to data, like a service of some type, like, you know, from an operating model perspective, would you have data engineers embedded in those teams, in the technology? Because obviously the tooling, the stack, the experience are quite different. Or, you know, do you essentially get the, 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 tech, the, the core technology team to actually adopt data practices, tooling, um, et cetera? Like, how do you go about, how have you guys gone about that operating model? Yeah, so I think this is kind of where we go in technology play and operational play. I think, you know, traditional data teams, the value is, you know, we, we have a great understanding of what makes a good data product. Um, I always talk about this term, historization. You know, how do you have um, history in your product different to kind of a audits table of record changes in an application database, you know, changing it from, um, you know, a, a table that has that history in it versus something that just records deltas. Now, uh, what we've done in uh, ANZ Plus is built some um, capabilities, blueprints um, that application teams can pick up and instantiate in their own environments that basically say, you know, I'm using uh, Google's Spanner technology. Um, implementing this uh, blueprint allows you to be able to out of the box get CDC, um, change data capture on events in your um, data store that come out and get written into BigQuery in the format that constitutes a data product. Um, and then the next part on that is, you know, we want to empower our application teams to decouple their application schemas from the data ecosystem. So how do they then put a, a consumption layer on top of that raw layer um, to basically allow that data layer to be the consistent um, interface that people interact with, opposed to everybody being bound to your raw data layer. Um, and then you kind of have these tightly coupled applications to the rest of the data ecosystem. Yep. Um, just to add to what um, Adam said, um, we try to do the same thing when we build the application blueprints and try to implement the blueprints and just trying to build a consistent dead layer. We still have the initial stages, so we're still exploring this and, and experimenting with this. Yeah, I think um, I think the real benefit is kind of that consistency of tooling. You know, you mentioned Snowflake, and you know, we use a lot of GCP. I think having having those blueprints that you know, engineering teams can easily pick up and plug in into their um, application stack um, is kind of the, the trick to making a lot of this work, right? You need low friction to enter um, the product making environment. And at the same time, you want to create consistency. So, you know, your blueprint will achieve both. Yeah. Oh, um, so I guess, Adam, to dig into a little bit, what I was trying to get at is that when you talk about, you know, um, templating um, essentially built data product templating for the applications that team to pick up I'm, i guess what I, what I was trying to ask is that that skill mix because your application team would probably may not know cdc or you know type twos or you know data quality like you know as 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 you know the standard practices etc how does that shift how does that enablement happen um or you really got essentially data data engineers satelliting in different application teams to be able to make that happen or make that transition easier. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've kind of got this concept of data heroes that kind of can go out and help application teams. Um, it's more about building in that uh, concept of managing type two, right, into your blueprint. So it's kind of 
it's in the tooling. They don't need to build something bespoke for themselves. It's it's in the tool in terms of how it transforms the data and, and persists it in storage. And so, you know, the, the data champions can kind of come in and help uh, explain the concepts and, you know, what the blueprint's doing, how you implement the blueprint. But really, we don't, we don't want to you know, take accountability away from the application team. They need to be really empowered to do it. And at the same time, it's, you know, it's a complementary skill to software engineering to a degree. Um, and so it's not, it's not kind of like this dark art that uh, a software engineer can't do. Um, it's probably more about just, you know, sharing some, you know, good, good documentation, good knowledge transfer and some good templates and blueprints on, on how to, how to accelerate, I guess, the ability to implement this, this data product uh, methodology. Still a good question on my end, Adam. Um, did you say you're using GCP? Well, yes, yes, we are. Um, just out of curiosity, like, did you see any advantages of GCP as opposed to AWS? Uh, I have some very controversial views on this, which I don't know uh, necessarily is right for the podcast. But, you know, I, I do think, you know, BigQuery as a solution overall is very geared to the data environment, right? And so I think, uh, you know, we work quite closely with um, our Google partners in this space and um, the the governance practices built into it and the ability to seamlessly CDC out of other uh, native GCP tooling is really, really easy for us to kind of go from microservice build into data product build and then kind of that extensibility on top of tooling to be able to can get value through ML and other other practices um, on, the, on the data stack is kind of there. So, um, you know, obviously every cloud has its own... Um, technology stack and tooling stack, and they all kind of work uh, with within their own environment quite well. I do think the trick here is um, cross-cloud. Um, and you'll, you'll see, obviously, likes of um, Databricks and Snowflake and others, you know, this is their play, right? Um, Multi-cloud. Um, but uh, each of the cloud giants is obviously acutely aware of this and are actively working on how do they stand up their own multi-cloud solution to be able to um, close the gap in this space. So. Um, you know, I, I think tooling is important. Uh, don't get me wrong. Um, I do think there are um, tooling that is more advanced than others, but I do think they're all all trying to achieve the same outcome as well. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And just to add a little bit to that, like my what I've seen so far is that like, you know, within that sort of that analytical warehouse, um, you know, analytical focus type of, you know, data warehouse solutions, there's, there's only a couple of main players. You got like GCP, you got Azure, you got, you know, you got uh, Redshift and Snowflake. Um, but the thing is, like, what, what I've seen is that really it's about the kind of the the initial stab of what technology stack you the, the team has chosen, and that kind of like retains lineage in terms of like you know people naturally gravitate to that platform or to that technology. It's so people dependent. Um, you know, there's no right or wrong, and there's some plus and minus on either side. But the reality is that. Whatever the experience of the team has, you know that's the kind of the, per, the path of the journey that the, you know the, the the team generally take. So, um, but they're very, very comparable um, from from certainly from 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 reading. Yeah, I just want to add to that. I think uh, letting whole data mesh would require a, an ideally a mix of technologies that would you know support decentralization, data domain ownership, and data quality. Like for example, for data cataloging, you know you might want to think of like like Apache Atlas, Gum. Calibra for and then for data quality tools, you may, you may want to think of um, Trifecta, and then for cloud, like, you know, GCP, AWS, and back to what you were saying, Kieran. It depends on what tech stack you know the 
the team is familiar with and then what's the easiest to adopt and I guess costing is also a factor. Yeah, I, I think a, another key thing for us is, you know, uh, the open source community has provided a lot of um, very cloud agnostic solutions as well, which I think, you know, plays very well into large enterprises that are multi-cloud uh, like ourselves. Um, it means you can have more yeah, generic data catalogs and tooling that allows you to link up your clouds and warehouses better. And I think that it's it's definitely a space that's um, getting a lot of crowd investment in the open source community around how to solve these, um, you know, sprawl of technology solutions that are, are happening. Yeah, just to add very, very quickly to that, like, um, you know, West Farmers has got, um, oh, how many businesses we've got about, I think, four or five big businesses that are sort of, uh, you know, can stand alone, you know, as a, you know, ASS listed company on its own. And so multi-cloud, multi-platform variability and tooling is is rampant. It's such a challenge because like, um, you know, example I'll give is that, you know, for example, for data cataloging, Alation, um, they'll have to go to every business to do uh, a different demo, a different sales pitch, to be able to get a different assessment, to be able to get like on board a particular tool for that particular business. And it's incredibly challenging and, and, and um, you know, not the great use of time. But but if open the open source community, like as Adam alluded to, is trying to solve that, um, then like you will get to a space where it's far more frictionless you got you got far more ability to be able to integrate and then like this data mesh concept becomes far easier to achieve um so so yeah like interested to how this will develop um you know over, over time well thanks everybody we'll move on to the next question put forward to the group by ash the question was to what degree does your current data architecture deviate from a mesh-like structure Thanks, Michaela. So another way of thinking about this question is like how far away from mesh-like is your organization's current data architecture? I guess in essence, in essence, this is a reflection on not just how far the journey will be from the present to to the mesh by reflecting on the existing data silos and the necessity for data to be migrated, partitioned differently, and secured in line with the with the domains, but also on the potential incremental approach to implementation by marrying up natural fault lines um, with the current immediate business needs. Um, if that makes sense, I guess also. The sweet spot between accessible data um, and the customer and the customer could ask um, could pave way for early incremental benefit to be delivered for the approach to become better and better with those making investment decisions. I guess more broadly, this assessment should also consider the level of refactoring and the option to partition the current estate, um, as well as, as well as any any implications of legacy tech that might affect the roadmap, like what other projects are going, what, what like the roadmap priorities. Um, in addition, like I guess this is also an opportunity to review the organization's technical strategy in order to begin the process of embedding data mesh you know, supporting technologies where necessary to make their multi-domain adoption through a shared technology platform a bit more straightforward. Yeah, that's my view. Um, so Ash, I guess to reflect on our sort of experience in terms of the how much of what we do now deviates from that data mesh principles, etc. Um, I guess the, we bought the sort of the, and I, I alluded to earlier, we're fairly, we're fairly early on in that adoption journey or discovery journey, but we do have some of the key elements to be able to actually um, uplift this, you know, right across the organization in the sense that we've got common tooling 
um, we've already got very rampant data share, uh, bilateral data share with, you know, with between businesses, you know, between technology teams. And so, and now we've got, you know, data champions uh, or, you know, data experts within different teams to be able to uplift, et cetera, enable and all those sort of things. So the elements, the key elements are there, but I think that to be able to scale that is kind of like, you know, where we our, our next next part of our iteration is. So we, we it's not that we, um, you know, we don't have a fully data mesh organ, you know, driven organization, but we've got the elements of it to be able to build up to that to that kind of structure. So it's not that we're deviating, but we're certainly not fully there, fully mature um, in the in the in what you expect in um, in, in that kind of what that organization kind of will, will look like. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I think um, as I mentioned before, in ANZ Plus, we've kind of had the luxury of building a lot of this new and thinking about mesh from grassroots, and so a lot of the um, a lot of the foundational components of data mesh we have in our architecture um, in ANZ Plus. But I think, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, large organisations are companies within companies, right? And so the the trick for us is about taking the learnings we've got and then rolling it out across the enterprise to to start un- unlocking data products within other domains. I think you know, a lot of the power comes from actually getting uh, the data owners and um, accountable parties to own and manage their data. Um, there's, al- there's obviously a lot of data that is kind of still managed by um, custodian teams. Um, you know, and I think a-, a lot of the work that data governance has done in the past is really established, well, who is the owner? Who is the accountable party? How do we kind of refactor to your point um, the data products that exist back to their owners and get that accountability back to the owners around uh, expectations on them creating and publishing a data product. And it comes back to one of my earlier points around and how do we think about you know, the funding and the prioritization process of in- empowering those divisions to have their products um, managed and, and cared for like a product. Uh, which they hadn't necessarily had the ability to do in the past, and hence why you know a lot of the central data functions uh, in in historic uh, operating models have always had all the data products within their own domain. Um, so I think that there is definitely a journey to be had around um, rethinking about ownership and accountability, and federating that back out, um, and kind of simplifying the uh, the duplicate products that exist in many of these uh, data environments. Yeah, nice. And um, that also, like, just to add to my own question, I'd, like, I'm curious to know: is there any organization that are truly 100% data mesh? Like, and, and you know, even if, is that even a possibility? Yeah, uh, I, was, I was just gonna say it. It depends how you define uh, data mesh to a degree. Um, you know, if if you look at organizations who have really strong um, product, I don't want to call them silos, but kind of, you know. Uh, clarity on product ownership um, and you know they're accountable for everything within the domain of uh, that product um, they already are kind of semi-living in mesh right um, you know if if you think about industries like uh, you know everybody uses the examples like your Spotify's and your Netflix right um, there are functions and teams that are accountable for you know artists for playlists you know um, it's it's probably thinking more about how how much do they own the end-to-end um, view of their domain, not just the applications, but the data as well. And if they live in a world where um, the data products are aligned to the domains or if they're actually kind of segregated and federated, 
Um, and is that being done deliberately um, or is that, you know, just um, by organic growth? I, I, I think um, data mesh isn't for everyone as well. Um, you know, if you, if you think about a lot of the smaller organizations, there is an overhead to run a mesh. Um, and I don't think a lot of the smaller outfits would actually benefit from looking at a mesh, you know. So I do think there's probably a, you know, a, a size of complexity of organization lens that needs to be applied. And then around the maturity around um, carving up like microservice architecture, accountability of domains and what does that accountability actually mean um, and consciously uh, deciding what to do with data product ownership out the back of that as well. Yeah, no, and, us, and to, to add to that, you know, um, and I always like to come back to the value question, you know, that sort of informs people's behavior of let's get to this new thing, new shiny thing. To be able to like, if an organization to be able to answer that value question of why, then you probably have a much better answer of how far along that is, you know, in that process. And I, I guess like to reflect on our experiences, like there's some very, very clear use cases and needs that are emerging right across the board to have, you know, very sort of, um, you know, controlled and mature data sharing mechanisms uh, between teams. And, you know, it, it's no longer, hey, I pass you a CSV, let's like that, that's, that happens 10, 20 years ago. But the reality is that the complexity of organizations and the criticality of the use of that data in a lot of different businesses is needs a much mature you know data you know data lens in which we'll look at it and and certainly to to add at this point like you know size really really matters because you know more complex your businesses are your products are and if there's very clear alignment to a uh a, a model like this then it absolutely made sense but yeah and, and to the value question don't do it for the sake of it so i, I, I and certainly to to add, you know concur with what i'm saying is that small organization probably really doesn't make sense because really this is a large enterprise that's got very, very complex businesses. Um, thanks, everyone. Um, next question. This one was put forward to the group by Adam. And the question was, how do you ensure the success of your ML projects? Yeah, I think um, just building on that, you know, how does um, ML projects and their dependency on the data environment and therefore the mesh kind of all, all, all string together, I think, we could do a whole separate podcast talking about ML projects. Um, and so I probably don't want to get into what does it mean to actually get a sponsor behind an ML project and to, you know, get that, you know, all the way to production and get customer value for, I think where I was interested in ML and how it links into the data product world is, um, how do you, how do you ensure you've got the right base data products, um, to support ML build? And what I mean by that is, you know, in traditional data warehouses, there is a lot of um, constant change and refactoring of data uh, traditionally, uh, which is not sustainable for building ML models. You know, and I think this concept of, and we refer to it as um, single-use or purpose-built data products. I think it's um, important to be able to have really um, well-defined data products that have really um, stable change practices behind them, high availability. Um, low latency to be able to power your ML models, particularly when they're customer facing. Um, the worst thing you can possibly do is have a uh, really volatile data product underneath a ML uh, model uh, fronted by an API, because that's just you know, littered with danger. And so for me, I think you know, 
Think about the problem you're trying to solve and the data you need for it. Think about what uh, data products exist in your landscape and the, like the SLOs and SLAs that are uh, attached to those data products. And actually, if you need to build purpose-built data products to support your ML um, projects, or if there is the ability to actually have that um, that contract with the data product producer around you know the dependencies and your expectations of a service level objectives of a data product to meet your ML needs. Yeah, I guess to um, to add to that, um, like we, you know, from a data platform perspective, we don't actually pipe into an ML use case yet. Um, but I think a lot of the things that Adam talks about are critical, irrespective of the use case. Doesn't have, doesn't mean, doesn't, um, you know, doesn't have to be ML. It could be any other use case that's actually customer facing or consumer facing. Like very, very, you know, uh, mature change management processes, clear interfaces, etc. There's the, there's there's the stability of, uh, of it, you know, what the consumer is actually tapping into. I, I, I'd imagine that would be key to any use case um, for for anyone that actually have got that sort of producer consumer type of relationship. So like contracts, um, SLOs, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, are key to, to providing that stability interface for 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 for, for, for ecosystem. Um, that that really will really work, and people don't get frustrated because you know data is crap. Yes. Okay. So I'll try and answer this question like with reference to our data mesh. So I think ensuring the success of the machine learning projects within, within the context of the data mesh framework, and it would involve a combination of best practices from both machine learning and data mesh methodologies. Like I guess in a data mesh approach emphasizes breaking down monolithic data architecture into smaller, more manageable components, aligning, aligning with the principles of data. They, um, of domain-oriented data. So if I could break up the steps for you know, a successful machine learning project, um, I guess you know, all, something to think about is clear domain ownership and collaboration, and defining clear domain, uh, clear, clear data domains, and assigning ownership to specific teams or individuals um, to promote accountability and ownership of d- data quality. Um, then another step, ensuring quality data and reliability. Um, their catalog and discovery, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think, Ash, we would probably... Oh, sorry. No, uh, just no you go. <laughs> go. Uh, I think, Ash, we're probably talking about very similar things in the sense that, yeah. hey, anything that, you know, um, that services a customer and that customer can be, you know, people, the general public or, you know, internal facing teams, there has to be some, some very um, uh, mature things that people experience um that experience is key to to how successful that interface is and how that experience um and whether people you know have got that sort of that advocacy for you so yeah i think we've all talked about very very similar things that that's needed exactly that's right and such a broad question like we can do a podcast on itself like how do you ensure the success of a data um and sorry a machine learning project is like just go on and i wouldn't know where to start you know Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We'll move on to our final question for today, which was put forward to the group by Kieran. The question is, what's your organization's biggest impediment to a data mesh organization and how would you go about an unblock? Yeah, so I guess, you know, the the origin of that question is from own experience. Um, you know, West Farmers have got complex businesses, getting people to agree to anything is incredibly difficult. Um, so I, I guess, you know, with the 
organization change that inevitably it's needed here um what has been your biggest impediment um and how have you gone through have you gone through a process of trying to remove some of those you know blockers and how's that well how what, what has been the outcome of that because i think that's been the biggest challenge sort of for us yeah i think um like any journey there are a number of impediments and blockers that you need to overcome right to be successful um as i mentioned we've been on on this for a while and so i think you know obviously the first one is kind of the buying right you kind of you're really saying no more central data function you're doing federated so and getting buy-in on that concept is is kind of the one of the hardest ones and then kind of the following questions is well what 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 does that actually mean so you federate it so now a domain is accountable for data products what does that actually mean and i think the the hard sell that we had um, probably in the early half of the year is well, why would an application team um, manage a source aligned data product? Like, you know, previously they used to cut a file, they sent it somewhere and forgot about it. Now you're asking them to kind of take more accountability. And I think a big part of that is around, well, actually you want them to be, um, you want them to have the ability to control uh, their own application schema effectively they want to actually remove the dependency on the raw data i think the big thing for application teams and domains is to decouple the reliance on their um raw application schemas to be able to allow them to be agile and nimble in how they change their microservice right so there's a big sell from a technical perspective on that and i think from a business perspective it's really about um use of data um actually a lot of the data governance practices exist because um data is so uh uh, so freely shared to a degree in old um, data warehouse techno- technology solutions, this actually gives a power back to the owner. And the owner and the business owner can say, actually, well, I am going to consciously be aware of who I'm giving access to and for what purpose I'm giving access for and actually really um, implement those governance practices as part of their front door of being accountable for their data. And so I think really big part of it is what's in it for the data owner and the domain in the federated model getting them to kind of buy in and understand actually there's a lot of value for you in being accountable for your data and owning your data um and then i guess the, the next part for us and where we're up to at the moment is and why i mentioned it earlier is kind of that funding prioritization piece as well because i think you know everybody's got their own objectives to be able to provide customer outcomes from a um, feature function capability um how do you also you know pair the uh, the additional cost, I guess, and, and development effort to manage and maintain products as part of that data products, some byproduct. So, yeah, nice. So, okay, so I'll try and answer this question from a high level, and then I want to give a more granular answer. I think the main challenge an organization faces in becoming a data mesh, like in data mesh, could be something like the resistance to change or the lack or lack of clear understanding. To address to address this, you need to communicate the benefits of a data mesh, provide training, involve key stakeholders in the process. Um, I guess it's all about breaking down barriers and educating and getting everyone on board to ensure the shift towards data mesh, the shift towards data mesh model is successful. If I if, if I go a bit deeper, like I think the primary obstacle um, in organization encountering transitioning to a data mesh might involve a complex interplay of technical and organizational factors. Um, this could include you know, the mindset of the of the employees. I mean, uh, the, the people might they might be currently accustomed to a centralized like to a centralized data approach. Transitioning to a data mesh would require a mind shift change towards embracing decentralized ownership and a more collaborative data culture. Um, and then 
another example, like with data quality assurance, that ensuring that data quality and consistency across diverse data domains could be challenging. You know, this might be this might involve implementing robust data validation, monitoring, and governance processes with with domain ownership. You know, assigning clear ownership and accountability for each data domain might face resistance or confusion. I guess defining um, roles, responsibilities, and authority becomes crucial. Um, I think it's to address like the impediments of how to unblock the path to a data mesh organization. I think you gotta kind of approach this from different angles, like you need to provide education and training, provide comprehensive training and resources to help employees understand the benefits of um, the, of a data mesh and acquire the necessary skills. Um, change man I feel that change management would also um, be required to implement change management strategies to ease the transition, including the transparent communication about the vision, the objectives, and the benefits of a data mesh approach, um, pilot projects could be um, could, could be required. You, know, you could start with small pilot projects to demonstrate the effectiveness of the data mesh principles. Um, you could show tangible tangible results and learning experience experience to gain buy-in. Um, yeah, I guess in essence, unblock, unblocking these impediments to data mesh organizations require a strategic blend of technical and leadership efforts aimed at fostering a decentralized collaborative and agile data ecosystem. Yeah, and really, really good points. Um, I, I think that we're probably on the you know, same page with this in the sense that value, benefit, and I think, I guess we have different ways to illustrate and actually surface what that what that is. And, and to reflect on, you know, like um, our, um, how we've gone about it is that, hey, there's a lot of production issues. Um, there are services that depend on data exchange uh, because there are customer experiences, a poor customer experience outcome that as a result of poor data quality exchanges. Um, and that affects everybody and you know the that it's a that allows a very quick you know clarity of hey what is the value here the value here is that fundamentally one pass you know the program needs traction in the marketplace it needs uh for all the teams to both work together to reduce poor customer outcomes how do we do that one of the problems that they're contributing to that we're we're actually how that can be solved uh if can that be solved with better data modeling, better data quality, you know, management, et cetera, then like, you know, the, you, you do get a lot more, I guess, um, people are motivated to better listen to, to some of these, some of these changes that you think, you think that needs to happen. That's right. I just to add to that, I think, um, support from the executive leadership, um, um C-level executive leadership, like you need, you know, you need to secure leadership by it and sponsorship to drive the data mesh initiative from top down. And I also want to mention like continuous improvement. And you know, you want to continuously monitor progress, get feedback, and refine the approach based on lessons learned. You know, um, we got to embrace an iterative adoption, um, ad adaptive strategy. Awesome. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, I think we'll leave it there for now. I want to thank you all for joining me on today's podcast and providing such interesting insights around the, the um, topic. I really enjoyed the discussion. Um, thank you all for listening. And I look forward to catching you next time on the Evolution Exchange podcast. Mm -hmm.